Hello and welcome to the Bootleg Equine Behind Stable Doors podcast. I'm your host, Jess Mastrini, a horse rider, trainer, and coach, and I'm ready to bring to you an insight into other everyday questions. I'll get to the deep nitty gritty stories of other people in hopes to motivate, inform, and encourage you all on your own journeys. Thank you for tuning in. And if you're listening on your phone or your computer, make sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories, your Facebook, and tag Bootleg Equine NZ. I am incredibly excited to bring this podcast to you all. And without further ado, let's take a look behind my stable door. So as I said in the intro, my name is Jess Nostrini. I am a horse rider, a trainer and coach at my own business, Bootleg Equine. Now for many, it's easy to see where I am now and what I do in terms of training and schooling horses. But what a lot of people don't know is how I got there. It all started when my dad took me away for a weekend and we went to a petting farm that had pony rides. I had one go around on a lovely little bay standard bread. And when I came back, I had to go for another round. And then it escalated pretty quickly. I soon went to lessons, private lessons, and then moved to group lessons at a riding school. So a separate place where I learned to look after a horse, ride a horse, learn that horses exist in the rain, hail and shine, much to my disgust. (laughs) And then it began with the series of my own horses. And it started off with the most beautiful little mare called Skye. She took me from riding school to show ring. And by show ring, I don't mean show ring, I mean pony club ribbon days. But she got me there and then as I very, very quickly outgrew her, I moved on to my second pony. And my second pony was not the easiest, but she wasn't difficult. She wasn't one of those horror stories that you hear. They Somebody's bought a pony and their child gets on and every other day they're on the floor. She wasn't one of those, but she wasn't easy. She did teach me how to glue my bum into a saddle And she taught me how to gallop on a cross-country course. And that gallop isn't always so straightforward. Sometimes they do want to put their head down on the ground and drag you the whole way along. But then, sadly, again, I outgrew her. And this is where I feel the beginning of who I am today started. So from selling my second pony, I moved on to my first hack. He was a handful. Looking back on it, we were just a really big clash of personalities and I didn't enjoy it. He didn't enjoy it, but we got there in the end and I ended up selling him, long story short, to a much more suited rider, which suited us both fine. But where this horse really sculpted my riding today was he taught me that a buck is a buck and if you come off, it's not the end of the world. If you can get back on and ride through it, then you come out a better rider. So after having such a difficult horse that would put his head between his legs and flick me off and bolt and buck and rear, oh, I don't know how my mother let me keep him for the time that I kept him. And I honestly don't know how the only injury I got was a sprained ankle. There were some real rodeo moments on this horse, but because of that, because of the ability of being able to ride him and 
regaining my confidence on the same horse, we took a bit of a leap and maybe it was blissful ignorance at the time and purchased a rising four-year-old unbroken mare. Uh, yeah, I'll let you sit there and think on that one for a minute. Now, at the time I was 15 years old and there was no moment that I ever considered breaking my own horses going back now eight years. It wasn't something that I had wanted to do. I wanted a horse I could go and compete on and have fun on. But this horse came up and my mum fell in love with the picture and she said, hey, let's go check this mare out. She looks lovely. I was very reluctant at the time because things were going great with my first hack. But it was pretty obvious that the, cl the clash of personality was still there and he still would have been better to leave. So at this point, I still had this gelding. We went and met this mare and I really didn't like her. She had dreadlocks down to her shoulder. She smelt. She was grubby, grimy. She was gangly. I just, there was nothing about her that sold her to me. And the owner of the stud said, okay, well, do you want to see her movement? So we took her down to the round pen and she sent her out. And in all honesty, there was nothing special about this horse, but there was something about her nature. When we first met her, she was very very lovely and kind and she had sweet eyes and of course she had those baby mentalities of nibbling you and licking you but there was something about her so we went home that day and thought about it for about a week and then we decided to go and look at her again I just wasn't sold I was I was a little bit torn of I didn't want to sell the problem I knew to buy a potential new problem especially an unbroken horse, which I had never had before. I'd always had horses that were trained and schooled. So we went back and she remembered us. She did a little nicker out and licked us and was all over us. And so I said, hey, can I take her down to the arena and lead her around and just see what she's like? So I took her down and a conversation that I missed while I was leading this horse in this giant jumping arena was that she'd never been in there. She'd never seen jumps before. She really hadn't done anything. There I was, just going my way with a horse I didn't know. Oh dear. <laughs> the whole thing, I look back at it and it's just, it could have been a disaster. Luckily it wasn't. Anyway, so then we decided, okay, you know what? She's pretty quiet. She's pretty nice. We'll, we'll get her and we'll send her for breaking. And then if it doesn't work out, school her for a year and then sell her on. So fast forward, I sold my other horse. We got her, she got broken. And when I got her back, there was just something. There was something about knowing that I would be doing the training, but I hadn't done it all. And it made me want to start training horses myself. So I started working with her and the plan was, my plan had changed at a point. My plan was, school this horse for a year or two and then make her my mum's horse or sell her on if that didn't work. I'm just going to nip in here and eight years later, I still have this horse. <laughs> but I started training her and she was just amazing. I could take her anywhere. 
baby, I could take you to the beach, to the forest, to the pony club. The first outing we did was to a cross country practice. I seriously, 2000 and what year was that? 2012. I don't know what was going through our heads. Nothing, apparently. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Anyway, got her going and then she started to really gel with me and there was a day and I remember this day so vividly. I had done no more than a normal ride on our little, we didn't have an arena, we had a riding pad. It was just a, a dirt pad thing and it was the most simple ride. It was, we just walked trot canter, trot poles, nothing spectacular. But something happened that ride and I got off, remember, like I remember thinking, this horse is mine. She's she's mine. Like we're meant to be together. And that sounds really corny and really cheesy. But when you know, when you get a horse like that and you know, and you know they're meant to be yours, that feeling takes over you. It's crazy. So that was decided that I'd never, ever sell her again. Um, I went, Well, again, I never did sell her, but I would never let that thought cross my mind. And then I started to get a little bit bored because this mare, Summer, so my horse Summer now, and if you follow my my business page, Bootleg, my Instagram, any of those social medias, you will know how much I adore this horse and how big of a part of my life she is. But I got a bit bored because Summer likes to muck around in the paddock and jump fences and bust out and ugh, the list is endless and the list of injuries is also endless <laughs> and it's very frustrating when you have a horse that you adore that you're constantly just fixing so while she was probably unsound at some point or another I had a very very momentary fleeting idea that, hey, why don't I get another horse to break in and produce and sell? Are you seeing a theme here? (laughs) So I went and not only did I buy a young horse, I bought a foal. I bought a four week old foal. (laughs) Oh dear. In some other universe, this could have all gone so much worse. Nothing did go wrong, but it could have. So I went to the same stud and I went to buy Summer's half-sister. But at the time, we didn't have the facilities for a horse that was going to get this big. Now, I'll just, sorry, I haven't even given you guys a little insight onto me. I am five foot three, very little, small human. And my horses currently are 15-2, which is Summer. She's 15-2 hands high. And Prada, who is... 14 and a half or 14 one hands high and I fit them just fine (laughs) so I'd never needed a big horse but back then I really wanted to keep eventing and I was only low level eventing at the time pre-training schooling over training but I never competed high higher than pre-training so 80 centimeters but I just wanted to I wanted to get there everyone around me was getting there and I was on this baby horse I was on this at the time she would have been five or six at that stage and I was just, I was there doing nothing. And I, I felt like a bit of a loser. So I was like, you know what? No, maybe competing's not for me for now. So why don't I go look at her half-sister who was going to get a little bit bigger. But then when we met her, we realized she was going to get 
quite a lot bigger. We didn't have the float or the facilities or the gear for a horse to get to that size. And it would have been about 16, two, 16, three hands high. So <laughs> when we were in the stables, looking at this gorgeous little roan filly, there was a chunky, shaggy, ugly, <laughs> scatty little foal, two stalls down with her mother. And mum said, Oh, what about this one? And I thought, no, what about this lovely one? This nice, this nice little roan. But no, I don't know how it happened. We went in, we met this little foal, and I, no word of a lie, she was hideous. She had foal, 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 fluff coming out of her in every direction. She was this mottly browny, ashy color. You could see the whites of her eyes. She, you couldn't touch her. She was so scatty. And we bought her. <laughs> we left and we bought her. Obviously, we didn't get her till she was weaned. But by the time we bought her, well, we bought her. And by the time we had to sign the contract, we had to come up with a name. And honestly, I don't know what was happening with our brains for that four or five year segment. No idea. But we decided to name her Prada. You know, designer. This thing was small and stout and ugly. <laughs> Can I emphasize ugly? Because she was really bad. Uh, so she got dropped off to us and she was a terror. We couldn't catch her. Obviously, she hadn't worn a rug with the, the breeders because of her age and she toughen up a little bit um but we lived on a ridge and she needed to get used to that kind of stuff pretty quickly but god forbid we try to catch this damn animal crikey prada the devil wears prada was more like it she was the devil she was a little spawn of hell <laughs> every time i had somebody come around like a friend oh she's so cute obviously non-horse people they love small horses because they're less um, confronting and I used to have to say stay away she will bite she will kick she will do anything in her power to mow you down and she was like that for the first two and a half years of her life and I honestly every time I started doing some form of training some kind of groundwork or desensitization I hated her. I could not wait for the day that I would break her in, get her going, and get rid of her. <laughs> I wanted her gone. So then I decided in, would have been when she was three years old, so three years ago, 2017, December, that it was time to break her in, and not a heavy break, but time to get her green broke, you know, 10, 20 rides. So I did just that and she was so easy. After the past two and a half years with her being terrible and I really mean terrible and I really hope you can understand when I say terrible, I mean every day I woke up and I had to feed this pony, I could not wait to get rid of her. <laughs> but then I started breaking her and she was so easy. And she was so willing and it was like a 180 on her personality. She became soft and cuddly and affectionate and, and ready to, to do something. So 
got her broken and then I didn't want to rush her start. I decided she had done so well and she had been so kind to me when I was breaking her that I thought, you know what? I'm going to give her a lot more time than, than I was going to originally. I'm not going to just break her and sell her and move on and greener pastures type of thing. So I gave her ooh, a couple months off couple months no it would have been the better half half of a year off and then we moved and we moved to a place that had no no available riding facilities you had to trailer them anywhere and she was not and is not the best traveler she's okay inside the float or trailer whatever you like to call it but loading was never her never she was never a fan of loading um, I did get her to a point of self-loading, but then we made a big move, uh, which I'll get to soon, and I guess it just knocked her confidence, and, and rightly so. It was a four or five day journey for them in the end, but rewinding, I'm jumping ahead here. I started bringing her back to work, into work, on this property, and it was tough. It was hilly, there was no fencing, it was on a road front, I just recipe for disaster and then I finally got her floating self-loading so I would take her down to our local club riding club which was only five minutes down the road thankfully and I got her going but she became explosive she would bolt and she would buck and rear and she was unhappy I had saddle fits I trialed different bits I've never taken her out of a snaffle but I trialed a few different things and I, I wanted to make her comfortable, but it was just her lack of maturity. I based all of my knowledge off Summer, who had been the easiest four-year-old I had ever, well, I have to this day, ever owned and managed and ridden. And Prada wasn't. Prada was easy to begin with. And then she became increasingly more difficult. So... I brought her back into work and then came our big move south. So for all of you that don't know, I was based in Auckland for 19 years. And in January 2019, so only ooh, almost two years ago, we made a very big adventure down to the South Island in New Zealand, Canterbury, and set up home just on the outskirts of Christchurch. And that was a big move. That was a really big adjustment for all our horses. Of course, we couldn't leave them behind. So that became 2019 last year. And I let, I started to put Prada on the back burner. And in this time, I had summer going. I had multiple injuries within this span of time. Even down to 2018, summer was out for six months with a... Uh, an injury cutting open her hop trying to jump another fence so I brought her back into work and that was my main focus of the summer before we moved and of course with a move of that size we decided to let the horses have two months off or a month and a half off about um and then time kept going by I started working with client horses down here I broke in my mother's horse Billy who, again, if you follow my Bootleg Equine page, you will see a lot of Billy because she is our 
little baby, well, she's mum's baby, you know, when you start them from scratch, it's it's quite mm, it's very close to your heart. So I was breaking, breaking in Billy in the end of February, March of 2019. And then by the time she had finished, it was coming on end of April, beginning of May. And I kept focusing on summer again. And then April came around and I thought, well, what am I doing with this little pony Prada? What am I going to do with her? Because she's really small. At the time, she was probably 13, 2, 13, 3. But she wasn't, she hadn't grown into herself. So she's a gypsy cob cross station breed. So she's quite chunky. And she hadn't quite grown into herself. So I thought, you know what? I really need to get this pony going so that I can sell her. So my plan at the stage was still to sell Prada, still to produce her and sell her as a kid's pony. Brought her back into work and the explosive behavior reminded me of just why I had been putting it off for so long. It was a few months of tears and I am a fully grown adult (laughs) and I was crying because my pony kept bolting. And it wasn't a a crying out of fear. It was a frustration because I'd had this pony for so much of her life and she still didn't trust me enough that when I was riding her, we were safe. And then I gave her a little bit more time off. Uh, We got to the depths of winter. It was very cold and the days were very, very short. And then again, I had to buck up a little bit. Because I thought, well, you know what? If, if I don't want this pony, I need to get her going so I can at least sell her. And I started getting her going. And then I had an epiphany. Is it an epiphany? Or a moment of eureka? <laughs> I decided that, hey, actually, despite being a coach and a trainer and having produced my own horse and mum's horse and starting Prada so far... I was nowhere near above not needing help. I needed help. I needed somebody on the ground that could tell me certain things and what to do and and when to do them. So I got in touch with my now very wonderful coach, Lauren Haig. Hi, Lauren. Um, And she really got us going. She, I, I don't know, she worked her magic and she got us going from being dead straight and heavy in the front to being able to yield yield over and and move forward and up and out and it was just such a a moment of thank god (laughs) because this pony soon went from being my end of the day thought to I can't wait to go out and ride her and I can't wait to see where her future goes and as we started going along so as 2019 started going along the end of the year Lauren actually pushed me to take up a little bit of dressage with this pony and somehow in some way shape or form here we are a week off our last dressage competition and Dressage dressage was not my forte. I had never competed dressage. I had never had any desire to go and compete in dressage. You know, I just, like many, nah. Flat work is for arena work and jumping's where it's at. But 
I guess I put my foot in my mouth because here I am loving dressage and I can't wait to keep going on my wonderful little pony. And remember how I told you uh, that there was a theme? Yeah, I buy ponies and I train them and I don't sell them. (laughs) And it's a really bad habit, but oh well, I'll just collect them. I'm happy doing it. (laughs) No, I'm joking. I've got much better, much, much better. But when you own something from such a young age, it does become hard to part with them. So that was my story with Prada. Um, And in, in both of our first season of Dressage so far, so we've had four or five shows, we have come away top five from every show at least. And in our first series, so the Canterbury Dressage Spring Series, we came away third overall after the two days. And that was a real, real moment for me to realize that, hey, your hard work's paying off and you are doing what you love and you're, you're getting there because you haven't stopped. Rewind a little bit to summer. My main horse, and I guess some people would call you call them a hard horse. She is still with me and we took a bit of a, a back a step back. I'll say a back seat to any kind of competing with all the injuries. It, I just became so unmotivated and I transitioned into doing a lot more horsemanship work with her and creating a better bond because as much as I love this horse because I loved riding her, I loved going places with her. I wanted to make sure that, and it sounds really silly, but I wanted to make sure she loved me too and she loved the the things that we were doing and enjoying them and that she wasn't just complying. So I started doing some bridalless work and then that became tackless work. And she is amazing. She is, she can have a month or two off and you can pull her out of the paddock and she doesn't falter. Fault, sorry, not falter. She doesn't fault at all. And it's just, ah, I wouldn't trade her for the world. And the fact that we never make it out to the show ring doesn't bother me in the slightest. So that's where I am now. And I guess that's just my journey with my own horses. But where that's all taken me is to bootleg equine, which is what's brought you guys to this podcast, reeling it back in because I have a great way of talking somebody's ear off. (laughs) Bootleg equine, I started in 2017, 2007, no, 2018, March of 2018, I, I took a step And this was probably one of the biggest, biggest moments of doubt that I've had with myself in my entire life. I created a company and while a lot of people knew me in Auckland, I wasn't known for being the spectacular rider who won every class they went to or who could turn a horse from nothing to something. I wasn't that person, but I knew deep down that I had an understanding of horses and I have a passion for them and I wanted to help other people with it. So I started bootleg in March, 2018 and it was a rocky start. I went in guns blazing. I introduced it to the world. I posted it on social media and friends and family were so supportive and I thank everybody that has been supportive so far. But I didn't just create my business. I went straight in. 
I decided to organize adult clinics and put my flyers up everywhere that I was offering lessons and training and schooling. And I was way in over my head back then. I wasn't even, I was 20 years old. I was looking at the rose, the world through rose colored glasses. (sighs) And I'm so proud of myself for sticking it out because it has not been easy. It has had many ups and downs, many, many, many downs. I have had so many times that I've just thought, nah, I can't do this anymore. Nobody's interested. I'm not interested. Well, not that I wasn't interested. I was just lacking the confidence. Um, And then I had another eureka moment. I don't have many eureka moments, but when they come, they're good. (laughs) So I decided, hey, you know what? When I move to Canterbury, it's a fresh start. I can really buckle down onto who I want to be and how I want people to perceive me. Obviously, people are going to see me however they want, but I wanted that this overall idea of who I was and, and what I did and why I did it to be at the forefront and not just from good old Coatesville Pony Club who would canter around 60 centimeter cross country and 80 centimeter cross country. I did, I was, I was sick of being that person and I was sick of people really doubting me. Um, for a very long time, I battled with other people's doubt, having, having young horses and not coming from a horsey family. A lot of people really questioned it, but Uh, It wasn't really their opinion to have. And even if they want, everybody's welcome to an opinion, but it wasn't one they needed to force on me. So I blocked it all out. I moved on. I literally physically moved a very, very big distance away from my old self. And I got underway here. And it has been one of those things, mind over matter, that when I decided this is who I want to be and this is what I want to do and nobody's going to stop me. I did it because here we are almost, almost three years later, my little business, almost three years later and I am producing my first podcast. And the whole idea of this podcast, so the reason I wanted to introduce myself is I wanted to show you all that I'm not special. I didn't come up because... I was an amazing child rider or because I had this big moment. It was just because I decided I can. Because I can. Because why not? Who says I can't? Because anybody other than me that says I can't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter at all. So here we are. And I hope that gives you guys a little bit of motivation and incentive that Even if you're not out there and you're not winning and you're not placing and you're not, hell, you're not even confident to be cantering. Who cares? If you're there on your horse and you're doing it, you're going to get somewhere. You're going to get where you want to go. And that's exactly what's happened to me. So that is me. And I am so, so excited to bring you the second episode, which will be all about my lovely mother, who is the other reason that I decided to start this podcast and that should be coming really really soon so again thank you so much for listening and that brings us to the end of this episode that is 
all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you're listening on your phone or your laptop, make sure to screenshot and share and tag Bootleg Equine NZ so I can see who's tuning in. And thank you for your support. If you or you know someone that you think should come on the podcast, please send them my way. You can private message Bootleg Equine NZ on Facebook or on Instagram or email bootlegequine at gmail.com. And please don't be shy. Everybody loves to be a little pervy on the next stranger's story. So again, thank you. And I look forward to having you listening along with the next one.